On today's episode, are our butt muscles really switching off? Let's dive in and investigate. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. I'm really excited to bring you guys this episode. Um, This topic is something that uh, has been a long time coming. I'm not sure why I haven't talked about it in the past. Um, It was triggered by uh, Greg Lehman, who wrote a a blog, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, Before I get started, uh, I want to welcome you for joining me today on the Run Smarter podcast. I know I have a fair few new listeners. um, So for those who are new and are listening to the episodes, If you haven't already, um, go back and listen to the first 10 episodes. They cover the universal principles to overcome any injury. I see that um, in the past, a lot of people have gone back and listened, which is awesome. And as soon as there's like an influx of new people, I just need to create as a bit of a reminder. So if you haven't already, you're going to take full advantage of this podcast by listening to those first 10 episodes. And then while you're at it, probably the first three seasons, they're quite universal in themselves. Um, but I also have other exciting news, which I'm excited to tell uh, you guys because some of you guys are interested in um, my day-to-day and what I'm like with my running and um, how the podcast is going and how my business is going. Well, I have this new kind of business venture, which is going to be a huge step um, into like expanding uh, the Run Smarter series, the Run Smarter business I've created. And I'm actually moving house. I'm moving house in a couple of months if uh, COVID lets us. And I am actually converting the whole downstairs area, which is like a rumpus room, an office, um, laundry, all that sort of stuff, into a clinic, into an in-person clinic. And for those who aren't familiar, I I do um, online physio. I do online physio for runners all around the world, but for the last couple of years, that's only been my sole focus is just purely online. I haven't done any face-to-face physio stuff. And so that's all about to change. I think we have, um, I have these grand ideas of converting the rumpus room into this like superior gym where I can do strength classes with runners, where I can run sort of seminars and teach like running coaches, teach runners, teach health professionals, all about the, the run smarter kind of philosophy and all these universal principles and, yeah, it's it's going to be really, really exciting. So um, looking forward to that. I'll keep you guys updated as the months go on. And I've actually changed my business name because it was the Breakthrough Running Clinic, which I sort of created concurrently with the start of the podcast. 
And now the success of the podcast has um, grown leaps and bounds. And I think the podcast is where most people find me. And then when they want to work with me, they go to the Run Smarter website and they can't find how to do so. And they're kind of getting a bit confused because I have the Breakthrough Running Clinic website, which is where you go to book an online appointment with me, but it's not where people find me or what people know about me. And so I've changed my business um, clinic to the Run Smarter Physio Clinic and I'm in the process of kind of combining my physio website and the Run Smarter website together so that it's all housed neatly in just like one website. So people, if they want to find the blogs, the podcasts, the courses, my videos, um, the social media stuff. And also if you want to work with me, it's all on one website. So yeah, I'm just so wrapped. I'm just like every day I'm looking at like treadmills to buy and like equipment. Today I'm looking at... Um, force plate um, analysis. So you can buy force plates where you can sort of analyze how strong someone is, how explosive they are, if they're doing a squat, if they're leaning more towards the right and the left, if there's any discrepancies in the calf strength, because one of the appointments that I want to create is a full comprehensive running assessment. And yeah, those force plates will just generate a lot of data. I know some runners, especially triathletes, they're very data-driven and we'll think, I think it'll be a huge um, asset to that whole assessment experience. So that's what I've been doing today. Um, and yeah, just the last couple of days, it's been really delving into all the equipment that I can buy. And so keep you guys updated. Like I said, we're moving in in the next couple of weeks and the clinic will slowly start forming in the next couple of months. But yeah, keep you posted. Okay, today's episode, today's topic um, <clears throat> came off the back of Greg Lehman. So he wrote this blog um, and posted on Twitter and I came across and I asked, can I use this content as a podcast episode? He said, sure, go for it. The title of that blog was, Have the Butt Muscles of the World Gone Silent? And if you're not familiar with Greg Lehman, um, he was a guest on my podcast on episode 137. We we talked about running and rehab. The title was, um, Running is Rehab when doing is the fixing. And so, um, yeah, he gave me the permission to, to use his blog. Um, for those who, who are familiar with Greg and his, um, his Twitter interactions, he's very, um, he sparks a lot of conversations and those conversations sometimes get very heated. Um, I think he loves a good debate. He loves being controversial at times and where I, I, love listening to his content because where he comes from, it's very evidence-based. Um, but if someone's not evidence-based or someone has different points of view, uh, it does get quite heated, but it's, it's all, um, fun and games. Like when he was on my podcast, it, you could just tell he's just a really good guy, really knows his stuff and just wants to get the right information out there. Um, so this blog title sparks my curiosity, like have the butt muscles of the world gone silent. And in the past, I've seen a lot of poor language, a lot of like health professionals, running coaches, um, people reading stuff on blogs, they just get really confused or just, uh, I guess there's a whole myth around this and there's a lot of confusion. And so, um, yeah, Greg gave me the approval to kind of use the content. Um, so I've taken snippets out of this blog that he did write and kind of put in also my uh, experiences, what I think of certain topics, but I'll read what the start of the blog says. All right, here we go. Um, this is Greg, 
talking, by the way. From my extremely unscientific observations, it appears that 67 to 74% of my patients have been told their glutes are inhibited and won't work properly. This seems to be an epidemic. I had to cancel my Runner's World subscription because of the onslaught of glute inhibition articles that were too depressing and I chose avoidance as my coping mechanism. Open a fitness magazine and you'll read quotes like this. Because we sit on our butt all day, it sometimes forgets what it's supposed to do when we go for a run. And then he like kind of hyperlinks a source here. Did you hear that? Our glute muscles forget what to do. This concept is pretty rampant in the fitness and health world. You'd think there's a lot of research to support it, but there isn't. And so that's um, the start of the blog that he kind of talks about. And he goes into a bit more detail, which I'll include the link in the the show notes to this blog, by the way. Um, But medically speaking, what do we mean by inhibition when we say the glutes are inhibited? Um, What does it actually mean? So essentially it's the muscle itself not receiving any or some sort of distorted neurological input. So when a muscle activates... Um, just very loosely, I'll just describe this. Um, so the nerve goes either from the brain or the central nervous system to the muscle. It's connected via a nerve. And when the muscle activates, it's the nerve sending that impulse to that muscle, which then causes that contraction of the muscle. And so an inhibition means that that connection and that kind of that anatomy, there's something going wrong there, either a nerve has been severed, so it's no longer receiving um, messages. And so it's inhibited because it can't, it's inhibiting those messages or there's some sort of distorted, um, there's some sort of distortion to that input. So it's an issue with the nerves and the messages getting sent to the muscles. So abnormal reflexes, if we were to do testing, people know the when they do that reflex hammer and they put it over the tendon and there's a, um, a reflex that happens. If there's an inhibition, it means that there's either a dampened um, or an altered reaction to that kind of test. Um, so some common, I guess, common scenarios where this might be a problem and there might be muscle inhibition because of the nerves. Um, stroke, like if, you've had, if someone's had a stroke in the, in the past, that might inhibit these um, connections and these messages. If someone's had a very severe disc herniation, so if there's actual um, like a sliding of a disc, which is extremely rare, but if there is um, a sliding of a disc, it can press on and impede the exiting of one of the nerves from your spinal canal. And so that can kind of dampen signals if it's being squashed. Um, Other kind of nerve entrapments around the body, there's certain neural plexus, some around the neck, some around the shoulder, where um, the opening to the mus- uh, the opening to the nerve, or as the nerve passes around certain bones and certain muscles, it can get like kind of pinched or can get kind of obstructed or squeezed, and that can potentially inhibit these messages. And so this is what these are like very severe cases or very severe examples. But this is usually only when we see this kind of inhibition. And so when someone says, oh, your glutes are inhibited, it's probably not the right medical terminology, I could say. 
So if you can lay, say if you lay flat on your stomach and your legs are out straight, if you can keep your legs straight and kind of kick your leg up towards the, the ceiling, um, it, my interpretation of that would mean your glutes are working fine. The muscle activation is fine. Um, there's, unless there's like a soft kind of feeling of that muscle and um, it's different to the other side, like a, a vast difference compared to the other side, it's probably working perfectly and there's probably no inhibition. Uh, if you can stand on one leg without, or even if you hop on one side and there's no real um, dropping of the hips, like a very severe dropping of the hips um, and you're able to control that fairly well, then your glute medius is probably working pretty well um, too. So I guess it's worth kind of mentioning that kind of medical terminology just to help you guys, just in case someone in the future tells you that your glutes are inhibited when they can activate just fine. I continue with this blog. So Greg um, continues to say, we really don't need to elevate the importance of one muscle over another. And I don't think we need to create a pathology where one doesn't exist. Many of our patients feel broken enough without adding on imaginary dysfunctions, which is a pretty good point. I think it's it's worth saying um, there's just no no use, no purpose of piling this pathology, which doesn't exist in the first place, but creates a, a, a different sense. It creates a different um, urgency, anxiety. A lot of times people are quite fearful when they're told these sort of um, diagnoses or these dysfunctions. Um, so yeah, where did this theory come from? If it's to if it doesn't exist and it's totally imaginary, where did it come from? There is some theory behind it, and this is what Greg says. So he says, supposedly the tight hip flexors, which are at the front of the hip, uh, causes the glutes to not fire as well because of something called this reciprocal inhibition, which is essentially a reflexive phenomenon where if a muscle is turned on to fire, our nervous system will try to inhibit the opposite muscle from firing at the same time. And I think when we learned this at uni, like one of the examples were if you to do a bicep curl, like if you were to pick up your water bottle and bring it towards your mouth, you're activating your bicep to kind of bring that um, bottle or bring your arm towards your shoulder. At the same time, we're not just activating the bicep. The nerves aren't being sent to the bicep to activate they are, but also concurrently at the exact same time, messages are being switched off. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow off for your triceps which is on the opposite side of the arm because that actually needs to relax in order for the hand to come closest to our shoulder or closer to our mouth and so there's kind of this theory where if your hip flexors get tight then the glute muscles will switch off and this might be a common occurrence or a common explanation where people say we sit all day um we're now known we we're evolved to the point where we should be moving, walking, running, being quite active. But now we have office jobs and we have to sit eight to 10 hours a day. And that causes a lot of hip um, flexor tightness. 
And as this reciprocal inhibition theory kind of kicks in, it means that our glutes aren't switching on like they're meant to. And so you get glute muscle inhibition. This is a theory. And so um, Greg's blog continues to say, where this idea falls apart when it comes to the glutes uh, is that it assumes that because a muscle or a joint has decreased range of movement, the um, hip flexor tightness, that these muscles have some sort of extra muscle activity that causes that tightness and that this turns on the um, or inhibits the antagonist muscles, so the glutes. This is really an unsupported idea that doesn't make sense. Uh, so let me explain. If we're talking about hip tightness, uh, because we're sitting all day, hypothetically, I don't think muscles get really tight from sitting all day, but hypothetically, tightness does not equal activity. It do, it's not the muscles switching on. Your hip flexors aren't constantly switched on when you sit. If you were to have tight a tight bicep, it doesn't mean that the bicep is constantly activated or constantly switched on. It just means that the muscle length itself is tight. So this whole theory of reciprocal inhibition kind of falls apart because um, we're not, the hip flexors aren't activated. They're not switched on. They're just tight. And so um, another quote is like, oh, you need to stretch your hip flexors to get more glute activation. I hear that a lot, um, which doesn't make any sense because you're just lengthening the, the hip flexors and not really doing anything to the the activation of the glute muscles. And so um, that kind of falls apart as well. I think this is a good time to bring up, which I probably should have brought up earlier, um, which I kind of forgot about <laughs> and don't really want to edit it. Um, I asked some, I asked people on the Facebook group, like what their experiences have been. Let me see if I can scroll through it. So I put onto Facebook yesterday at the time of recording, um, I said, I'm putting together content for a future episode around glute muscle inhibition and the glute muscles switching off. And then I put, have you ever been told this? Um, what has been the explanation behind it? How did it make you feel? Let me know in the comments below and let me see what we have. So I'll just rattle off a couple of um, experiences. So Malady says, I do leg swings to turn on, uh, to turn mine on and fire them up. I used to get bad ITB um, symptoms during runs and that has since stopped. Karen said, yes, um, have no idea what it means. Hard for me to imagine that the, the glute muscles really switch off. Looking forward to this episode. Um, what else do we have? Kylie, uh, I had a physiotherapist slash running coach talk to us about this and, um, started doing some testing for, for running training camp. It was especially interesting to see that for many of us, activation was clearly worse on one side. Um, so also, so I guess they were doing some glute muscle activation at the right and left and found that they were better on one side than the other. Um, have also felt this may contribute to some issues uh, when cycling. Sam Todd says, I was told my glutes needed strengthening so that uh, they could take on more load and stop putting on so much pressure on my lower back. Um, is that the same? Four more. So uh, my doctor diagnosed me with dead butt. This is from Ali. So Ali says, my former doctor diagnosed me with dead butt syndrome um, a while back. And I think there is something to it. He explained that tight and weak glutes meant that other muscles had to compensate for the weakness leading to all kinds of issues, including ITB syndrome, 
I've worked a lot on my glute meat since then. Um, and while I'm currently working through an injury, I do think that in general, it's been beneficial um, for, to do the strength work. Carrie asks, great topic. Um, look forward to hearing it. Well, <laughs> hope you're enjoying Carrie. Emma says that the strength coach does a lot of exercises which switch on the glutes. I think that makes a big difference. Andrea said, I bet Brody Sharp has a lot of myth busting to do on this topic. Looking forward to it. Um, so I guess looking at all of these, it seems like people have been told that their glute muscles are either weak or they're, they're switched off or this dead butt kind of syndrome. That's the first time I've heard of that. Um, but their reaction seems to be quite positive. It seems like it's made um, quite uh, a positive impact, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, so thanks for doing that. Thanks for letting me know your experiences. Um, I think on a lot of other Facebook groups, I see a lot of other, um, I guess, worse terminology or worse experiences. Um, but yeah, always good to know people's thoughts. So why don't I like the whole dead butt syndrome or the glutes switching off or your glutes are inhibited? Um, here's a couple of my thoughts, and this is just me speaking. Number one, um, the language that people use can be very, very powerful, can be very impactful and also very detrimental. I think a lot of people will agree, will not their heads when they hear this, when I say that if people are told that their glutes aren't firing, it kind of sparks a bit of fear, kind of sparks a bit of like worry, confusion, anxiety, like those sort of things. What do you mean my glutes aren't switching on? What do I do? How can I switch them? How can I switch them on? Um, it's just really, really poor, really poor choice of language. And if it's said by a health professional, if it's said by a surgeon, if it's said by a doctor, it can have real ramifications afterwards. Um, so that's number one, poor, poor choice of language. Number two, doesn't attribute much hope or like hope of improvement if someone says that I can't switch my glutes on um, unless it's followed up with really careful explanations of the right kind of information um, a lot of people are just trying to switch their glutes on while they run. They're just trying to constantly feel a tight bum, like while they're trying to do their exercises, which, um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't lead to a lot. Um, it leads to a lot of like overcorrection sometimes. Um, I guess you could say, I guess people trying to run and trying to feel their glutes or activate their glutes, um, triggers a lot of like overcorrection. Someone's trying to constantly tighten their butt while they're trying to do a squat or do a lunge. That's an overcorrection, which isn't really helping anyone. So, um, yeah, stuff like that. That's kind of why I don't like this whole, um, theory and it being out in the, the running consciousness, the, the running, the global consciousness, I could say. Um, so, and it kind of fits the same line as a, a few other examples. So examples like, um, running increases the wear and tear of your knees, how many people go to a surgeon or a doctor and they say, why are you running? Running's bad for your knees. Um, that's very, that sparks a lot of fear and a lot of worry. Um, you're injured because you have flat feet, sparks a lot of worry, not backed up by science. Um, you need to stretch more, otherwise you'd get injured. I've heard from one of my clients that a surgeon has actually said to her, um, you're going to need surgery because tendons don't heal. Tendons don't heal on their own, so you're going to have to get it like replaced or operated on. I found that extremely poor and she was fearful for for up to a year just because she thought I'm going to eventually need surgery. This isn't going to get better on its own. And yeah, just very, very poor language. Of course, not 
backed up by evidence. Um, all of these really um, disempowering, strong language, highly impactful. And yeah, this kind of follows that same line. Sometimes people say, oh, my glute muscles aren't switched on. They kind of interpret it as, oh, it just must be weak. I might just need to do some strength exercises to activate them or do some strength exercises to increase the capacity or increase the, the strength of these glutes. Sometimes people just shake it off, but then other times people interpret it a totally different way. Um, so speaking of running and like running examples, I'll continue with Greg's blog. So he says, another critique against this concept of glute inhibition being relevant to pain um, is that we have made the glutes more important than they actually are. Ask yourself this, even if the glutes are inhibited, why would that be a problem? You don't need a lot of glute maximus activation to do the vast majority of daily tasks. Your glutes work during heavy load and range of movement exercises. So they work when you do things like sprinting, when you do things like heavy or like um, fast climbing or hit heavy lifting you just don't need a lot of glute activity to walk or even run. Have a look at a, and then he quotes a paper here by Dawn. Um, have a look at this Dawn paper on running in 2012. It's the calf muscles that really drive running. Hip extensors just aren't involved. So talking about the glutes. Um, this is also supported by the work of Rich Willie, and he hyperlinks this to another article more recently where they showed that the majority of the total support moment comes from the ankle and the knee with the hip playing a small role. And so when it comes to running, the major driver, the major muscles, um, the major muscle activity or loads are mainly through muscles around the knee, muscles around the ankle, particularly the calf, and the glute maximus doesn't really do much um, or is not very, very high on that list. Um, so that's what that's what Greg kind of writes. Um, so if that is the case, why are health professionals and coaches saying it? Uh, why are their articles written about it? Like Greg was saying, why is it so prominent on uh, Runner's World websites and other articles, other magazines, everywhere you look? Um, I've kind of written down a few things that I think. So this is just my interpretation of why I think there's it's so conscious in the yeah, the global consciousness. Number one, um, they believe it to be true because they read it and see it very regularly. So it'd be very common if someone's a running coach or a health professional, if they're always reading it, they believe it to be true because it's everywhere. And so there's kind of a bias there. Number two, the theory itself holds up in their mind. If you talk about this, um, sitting all day, not activating your glutes, hip muscles getting quite tight, this, um, inhibition, this reciprocal inhibition, that kind of theory might hold up in people's minds. And so they run with it because it makes sense. Um, number three, it gets a lot of buy-in. And I think this is very important when we look at, say, a therapist who has someone come in, they've got a running injury and you need to try and find what the cause of that injury is and find a solution. And sometimes just saying, like, a lot of people, if they do a lot of, like, glute strength tests and they don't really hold up, you could, it can easily say, you know, your glutes aren't switching on. We need to wake them up. It creates a lot of buy-in. The, the fear and the anxiety that it might generate 
means that you will listen and you will abide to those instructions and you will listen to that therapist because they've found that solution and they have the answer. And that, um, that buy-in kind of feedback encourages them to have that sort of language and use that kind of language. So therapists might like verbally say, well, this is another kind of reason. Um, a therapist might say switching off. Uh, your glute muscles are switching off, but they really mean weakness. That's what we're, we're all talking about. In, um, but they might not realize that what they're saying and what the runner is hearing is two completely different things. They might say, oh, your glute muscles are just switched off. And what they're thinking in their mind is, I'm just telling them that their glute muscles are weak and they need strength. But what the runner's hearing is, oh my God, my glute muscles are switched off. Like if they've been switched off all this time, um, how do I switch them back on again? They're just asleep. I I need to, and they start to rattle in their mind all this kind of anxiety-driven thoughts. I'll put my hand up and say I've been guilty of this in the past, particularly around, say, the shoulder. Like I would get people to do rotator cuff. It's not important if you're not too familiar with this terminology, but I'd get people to do rotator cuff exercises if they don't feel much burning through the, a certain part of their shoulder where their rotator cuff muscles activate, if they're getting it, say, through their neck or if they're getting it through their lats or um, the big muscles of the shoulder, I'd say, oh, your your rotator cuff muscles aren't switching on. They need to They need to wake up in order for your shoulder to start functioning more properly because your rotator cuff muscles are the foundation muscles that um, allow the shoulder blade and the the shoulder the shoulder bones themselves to operate in a, a more efficient um, position and then you increase your level of function once those rotator cuff muscles are switching on and so that would be just a part of my vocab that'd be how I'd deliver that I guess that diagnosis or that finding which I'd then go on and explain all we need to do is just do some strengthening and they'll um build back up and try not to let people think that they're actually switched off. But I've been guilty of it in the past and I've now changed a lot of my language and how I work with runners to, to address similar issues. But um, yeah, that's what people can get caught up in. And so the last one is that like following the theory has worked with them in the past. So you can go back to these Facebook um quotes or the the people um, who have um, commented on this on Facebook and like activating their glutes and doing some glute exercises has really worked for them. They've found like a lot of benefit in strengthening their glutes and therapists would also see that as soon as a runner comes in and you do these strength tests and you say your glutes are switched off, let's do all these exercises to switch your glutes back on and then the strength builds up and you like the outcomes are really positive. The outcomes are really good. And so it kind of creates this certainty bias. It's probably not certainty bias, some sort of um, bias where you're like, oh, this is working. Let me just continue with what I'm doing and continue telling them that their glutes are switched off because this method is really working. And uh, one example that I do have um, from my very first job as a physio uh, working in clinics is my boss would use um, what we call isolated TA activation. And what she would do is we had a real-time ultrasound machine where if someone had, say, back pain, um, 
they would say, oh, let's assess your core. Let's assess the, the layers of muscle in your stomach to make sure that you can activate this transverse abdominus, this um, deepest layer of your abs. And so they'd put the probe on the skin, they'd look on the screen, they'd try and get them to activate this muscle with certain cueing. And if they were unable to activate it, we'd try and find strategies to get them to activate this muscle. And we would explain that because you have low back pain, these muscles aren't switching on properly. Let's try and get them to wake up. Let's try and get them to um, strengthen in isolation before we start doing any other highly functional tasks. And the evidence would later come out um, and say that this isolated TA activation exercises are pretty useless. You just want to get someone functioning. You, you'd rather get someone to do some back strengthening, some core strengthening straight off the get-go with more functional exercises. And this isolated TA activation exercises are kind of redundant now. Um, and so we would go to a lot of these guest speakers. We'd go to a lot of these um, uh, professional development sessions in the seminars where the speaker who's very well very well versed in the research would say, I hope no one's doing this isolated T activation exercise anymore because we know it's redundant. But after hearing that, this boss that I had would then go back into clinics and do wouldn't change a thing, would still go with this T activation, isolated activation. And I, I, I sort of thought to myself, why aren't you changing? Like we know we need to be evidence-based. We know that we um we know that if it's not working or the evidence shows it's not um, working, then we should change. But then it got me thinking, like she's been following this this form for the last 10 years and it's been working. She's had great outcomes with her patients and she's been a very good physio. And um, because the way she delivers it and the way she takes care in explaining it and the way that she's very thoughtful with her exercise selection, um, people get better. And what's to stop her from from doing that, even though the evidence shows otherwise, because the way she delivers it's quite good. Um, so that kind of got me thinking with this glute inhibition. There's If someone's been using this same language, even though it's poor language, finding the solution, getting that solution, getting good outcomes, that's um, they're not going to change. Why would they change? They're getting good outcomes. And so that's what sort of what I would include in that. There's danger in still doing that because like I said, people can misinterpret this glute switching off and the theory behind it doesn't hold true. But I guess that takes us to the next part of the discussion is like, well, where does the truth lie? What's actually happening? What is proactive and what should we do? And so let's dive into that now. Okay. So where does the truth lie in this whole theory? Like we're, we've seen the theory. We've said that the theory doesn't hold up. Um, where are we at? So yes, we do sit all day as the general population, the general kind of office work. Yes, it might, I guess it might make our tip, our hips tight, like the front of our hips if we're sitting all day, um, especially, uh, well, it, I guess it'd be tighter um, if you did sit all day and less tight if you were up and moving more regularly. Maybe, I don't really know. Um, so there's that side potentially, um, it could cause weaker glutes for sure. Um, if you are sitting all day and you are not like, if you're 
resting all day and you're not combating with exercise, if you're not saying, oh, I have to sit all day, so let me go to the gym, let me make sure I'm at the gym more often. If you are just sitting at the office and that's all you're doing, the glutes are going to get weaker. The rest of your body is going to get weaker probably. Um, So let's not think about this glute muscle switching off because the hips are getting tight. Let's just think of it as you're just inactive. And so the capacity of your glutes, the capacity of the rest of your body is going to slowly diminish over time. So what's the solution? Like what kind of language should we use? Um, We can say that, okay, so we've done these strength tests and your glutes, are they're activating really well, but they're just a bit weak. And this probably goes back to um, one of the examples, that one of the Facebook comments around, we tried to activate one side and the other, and we found that there was a, a difference in activation from one side to the other. Um, that it, it just might just show strength or your ability to have more awareness around that one side. And so we go on to say with this kind of new language, how we're rephrasing this solution. So you can run, you can currently run 5Ks fine, but you're at the moment, you're trying to run 10Ks. So let's build up the capacity of your strength of your glutes um, and all the other muscles in your legs um, to build up to that capacity because your glutes are firing just fine, but the strength that you require to reach your running goals needs to change. So your strength needs to build up. Your capacity needs to build up. Or let's just say you do have a mild discrepancy. Let's say you've done this glute test and one side is a lot weaker than the other side. It's not inhibited. It's just, let's just strengthen it up to iron out this deficit. That's all it needs to do. It's it's a little shift in the language that we use. Um, And so while we do that, it makes sense that while we are building up the strength of your glutes, that we also make sure that our load management is under control as well. So that being like you're running, making sure that you're running loads, we don't overdo things and we sort of don't exceed that capacity of the glutes. And if we use this language and we kind of follow this um, reasoning, that would be why that so many people are getting a lot of benefits from trying to activate their glutes or getting their glutes stronger, doing all these bridge exercises and all these other um, strength and conditioning regimes because all we're doing is building up the capacity of the glutes. We're not re we're not awakening the glutes. We're not switching them back on. We're just building up the strength and we're just building up the capacity, which follows our simple language and follows our universal principles of the first 10 episodes. So it all kind of ties in. So simple language with a clear plan um, might take a bit of time but it's easy to administer. Like this whole approach, this whole language just makes sense. Um, And so if there's another situation where you require really powerful activities like that sprinting, like that uphill running, steep hiking, sled pushes, strength and conditioning exercises, all those sort of things, um, then you may need to increase the rapid firing of the glutes. So we're more power driven now. So build on the power alongside your strength with the same principles. Let's just build up the capacity, the power capacity for what you require moving forward. And so, um, like I said, falls right within this adaptation model, falls right within our universal principles. Um, It makes sense. Um, So the glutes aren't switching off um, 
they've always been switched on unless you do have one of these neurological conditions. Um, They're just weak and they just need to build up. Um, So I guess that's what I have to say on the topic. Um, So my final thoughts, like if you see a health professional um, and they do say, might might not be that your glutes switched off, it might be something else. But if you walk out of there a bit confused and a bit unsure, maybe there's a bit of fear, a bit of worry, you need to make sure that you clarify, make sure that they clarify the message um, by you asking a whole ton of questions. Ask questions about the diagnosis, about the potential causes, about the the management moving forward. Um, if you ask several questions and you're still unsure, that probably pricks my ears up to say that it's they're probably not the right health professional for you and you probably should seek a different opinion. Um, it's okay to ask stupid questions. It's okay to repeat questions that you don't understand because sometimes when I'm working with runners, um, I need if they're asking the same question three times, I need to really find a way to change my language so that they get it. I don't try... Maybe my default for the first response might be a little bit too medical jargon driven. Um, And so they ask it again. And then I try and really find another kind of analogy or another explanation. So they do get it and I make them repeat it back to me. So I know that they get it. But uh, if you were to say, oh, so you say my glutes aren't switching on. Um, Does that mean that like the messages aren't getting to the muscle or... Does that is that happening on my other side? And then they have to explain it again. And you say, oh, but like, how do I resolve this? What, like, what could have been the potential causes of this? And how do I resolve it? If you're not getting the right answers and they're not making sense in your mind, even though you keep repeating these these questions over and over, um, maybe that health professional, I'm just speculating here, but maybe the health professional is just like, either they don't know or they're just trying to keep you tied into this buy-in to this like, they're trying to keep you a bit fearful or a bit anxiety driven so that you do create this buy-in. Um, so yeah, a few things for you to, to be aware of, make sure every, every patient, every time you go in to see a health professional, you should be walking out with a real informed and, um, clear message about what's going on. And you should know the diagnoses. You should have you should be familiar with the management plan and just everything moving forward. It, it should all be just laid out for you. Um, so your management plan should also be inclusive. It shouldn't just be highly relying on the therapist, like their hands-on therapy. It should be like long-term outcomes in mind. Um, it should be long-term driven, not just these like short, let me just do some dry needling, um, have that several times a week and then you should be fine. There's nothing empowering about that you're relying on the, th- the therapist you're relying on their expertise and it's only short-term kind of solutions so yeah so a bit of a recap um i always put like at the end of my notes recap and then i sort of scroll up and kind of go through it but um so how do i recap this one um people saying their glute muscles when they say they're switched off they're not really switched off they're just weak And so if they are just weak, what do we do? We build up the strength. We build up the capacity. If you have running goals and you have fitness goals that exceed your current capacity, then you need to build up your muscles. You need to build up your glutes in order to start reaching that goal. Um, So I guess that's probably (laughs) my recap. Um, I'll definitely include Greg's blog in the show notes. Um, He also delves into a lot of literature, a lot of 
science and papers that are already out that hold up um, his topic, hold up his own theory um, and how it's a lot of this language is disproven. So um, if you if you do like the research papers and delving into that side of things, click on that blog, go check it out. Um, yeah, and so I'll also keep you posted on how this business venture is going to be turning out. So I'm, I'm really pumped, really excited. You'll probably be seeing a lot of posts on social media and stuff um, as I start putting it all together. But um, yeah, I'll definitely let you know on the podcast because I need to share it with other people. We're in lockdown at the moment, so... Um, I think the, the people that get most excited are the runners and the people who like the stuff that I do. So, yep, I'll keep you posted. And as I sign off, remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.